Hi there, my name is Lars Nilsson. I program here at the AFS Cinema, and I'm here with Holly Herrick. Hi, I'm Holly Herrick. I run film programs for Austin Film Society and work with Lars on the programming at the AFS Cinema. And it is already November, so I guess we're a little a little late to this, but we want to talk to you about our film program for the next two months. We just have a calendar that should be in your mailbox. And there's so many things that we're really excited about that we wanted to make sure y'all knew what we had our eye on for the next couple of months. And so heading into this calendar, we have, like, right now, since we're busy working on January, February, it's kind of like we look back at this and go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is all coming up. This is that stuff that we're super excited about, and it's all happening. So uh, I know for me, like, the stuff that I'm looking forward to and just seeing, like, wow, that's right around the corner. It's just in a few weeks is the UCLA Festival of Preservation, which is a month-long series, which has like well, like 10 showtimes or something over the course of a month. Um, and in that case, um, this, is, this is a thing that UCLA has been doing for a while. And mainly if you just happen to live near the Brentwood area, you have a chance to go to the UCLA uh, theaters and see this. Um, and then it started branching out to New York and Chicago over the past few years, and for us to have a chance to bring it to Austin is enormous. Um, these are prints fresh out of the lab cans uh, of films that UCLA has either worked independently or in collaboration with other archives or other funders to make happen, to make new prints happen. And behind each of these prints is a whole lot of legal red tape, a whole lot of time, a whole lot of project management to get these to the screen. Um, and this is the end result. This is the end product, is that these films are finally able to um, go before audiences. So there are new restorations of films like Ernst Lubitsch's Trouble in Paradise, which is an unbelievably great film. Um, there's uh, shorts that go with many of these. There's films that um, have, nobody's ever seen before, practically, like the films of Julian Compton, like The Plastic Dome and Norma Jean and Stranded. Uh, and there's even, you know, rare Black Panther films like The Murder of Fred Hampton. Um, and also The Jungle, which screens as part of that program, which is made by African-American high school students in the 60s. Um, so it's, and then there are film noir classics, like He Walked by Night. So it's, it's such a um, diverse package of films. And what ties it all together is that these are new restorations. These are things that have been newly discovered. If you could find prints of this before, it might be a ratty 16-millimeter print. Or, uh, or a 35-millimeter print that's not complete or is cut or isn't properly printed. So it's really exciting to have a chance to see these films um, in, in a way that we wouldn't have been able to see them before. Especially that UCLA is doing these restorations on 35-millimeter, so you can see, you have that experience of, of seeing celluloid in the cinema, but with films that many of these are total discoveries, like just the films of Julian Compton, like you said, this is a, a feminist filmmaker from the 60s whose work most of us don't know and have never seen. I can, I'm so excited about that oh, program. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, so what a what a coup in Austin to have now this UCLA Festival of Preservation visiting here. So you'll see us at all of those movies. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the things I, I'd have to say, like, if you ask me the things I'm most excited about, I could really go on, but that's one of the things I'm most excited about. What's one of the things that you find yourself most excited about in this calendar? I think the thing I, I keep thinking about is how we're able to bring all of these new international auteur films to Austin that we wouldn't have been able to bring before we had the AFS cinema. That, to me, is such a special aspect of what we're doing at AFS is being able to show films that 
are the films that are setting the tone for what film culture is internationally. And we don't always have a chance to see those. Um, there are films that might be at Toronto or at Cannes and may not even get a U.S. distributor. And we have a couple examples of that in our Modern Masters section this month. Um, first of all being Sierra Nevada. Um, Sierra Nevada is a film by Christy Pui, who is known as being one of the essential new auteurs of the new Romanian cinema. So these are the people who grew up under Ceausescu or you know, were born during his reign and then experienced post post-communist Romania and got into these film schools where there was just so much excitement to express free thinking and have the ability to make art. And as a result, there's all these incredible films um, that that have come out in the past, I guess, 15 years, maybe to almost 20 years now, um, including a film called The Death of Mr. Lazarescu by Christy Pui. And he has a new film called Sierra Nevada, which is this total experiment of form, but it's funny and great and sort of gets at what's happening with this Romanian family generations after um, communism and how that's the, the socio-political situation in Romania has affected family life and culture and it's just a gem and that is not distributed in the U.S. We were able to share that um, print with a couple of other theaters in the U.S. so it's on this very limited tour so one screening only um, Sierra Nevada I'm really excited about and then on that same note um, Beyond the Mountains and Hills, which we're showing next week mm-hmm. on Monday night, mm-hmm. has the director and the lead actor in attendance, a new Israeli film that looks similarly at how how this how politics and how some of the immoral actions of society can trickle into people's personal lives. This is an incredible film. It was at Cannes, and having the opportunity to speak with the director who's visiting from Israel is pretty amazing. And also we have Lav Diaz's new film, The Woman Who Left, showing November twenty fifth. And Lab Diaz is, you know, Philippine auteur, makes these really, you know, Romanesque film, you know, long films about that are often, you know, Shakespearean in structure, but they, he has this big broad canvas and this one is a, is a revenge tale and it's riveting. Um, it's, you know, short for Lab Diaz, only, what is it, three hours or so? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's amazing. It's called The Woman Who Left and, and that also just has one screening. So I, I hope folks will come out and for these films, they're, they're, you'll really, think differently about cinema watching any of these movies and it's it's pretty exciting to be able to have those types of conversations and that type of work um in our theater and the other one that's in that sort of vein is the death of louis 14th oh this movie is just wonderful i just love this movie um albert sarah is a filmmaker whose whose work just consistently surprises. He plays a lot with ideas about god and religion like he made a he's made a couple of films that um that make a new kind of religious tale and that's why Louis XIV is perfect for him because this is when the kings were monarchs were considered connected to God and so watching the death of this king is like watching a god die and of course it's played by one of our cinema gods yeah. Jean-Pierre Leo um the true famous Truffaut star and so this it's it's just a really rich cinematic experience and something that plays a lot with those ideas of the meaning of the monarchy and the sort of absurdity of it actually it's really a fun fun watch um and i think that it's really i think it's important for us to um i think what we're doing here not only this calendar but it's kind of consistent thread in what we're doing in programming is understanding that cinema is alive it's like as much as we will play and we'll like during this period we're going to play Tarkovsky's sacrifice uh, we're playing all kinds <laughs> of you know art films that we might consider classics or rediscoveries 
But the, the notion that film is being created now, it's being created you know, all around us, is also a big part of what AFS is doing, the past, present, and future of the cinema in, in helping filmmakers get off the ground, being the future, and then the present and the, and the great auteurs who are working today. This is really important to us that, it's, that we're covering all of this ground because it's all of what cinema is consisting of. Yeah, and we're watching just a, an absurd mm-hmm. amount of films on our own to look for the films of the present yeah. that we think are going to be most interesting to, to you all. So that's why that's where this program comes from. It's not just... Um, there's no there's no randomness to the selection of what is in Modern Masters or Best of the Fest. These are films that we think are critical to the conversation this year. Uh, so a film like Davion, which was a new independent film from Sundance, we think is a voice that just absolutely must be heard on the scene. Another another great you know American Southern filmmaker first feature film, but it's something that you'll leave the theater and feel like you had a huge you know hour and a half of fresh air. It's just. Um, it's new, it's exciting, it's, it's yeah, the kind of cinema that we like to talk about and, and present. And, it's, and it's, <clears throat> it's not necessarily the most typical way to, to program a theater to really go piece by piece, film by film, and to choose it so intensively. I talk to a lot of film programmers around the country, and there is a lot of what I would call sort of wholesale programming, like, yeah, we got to get one of these in and one of these in. And it's the way that a lot of it's done. So by with this sort of selection, I think I, I'm proud of our working method. I'm proud of every film that we put out there. Um, it's always been vetted and selected uh, in every single film. At least one of us, most of the time, both of us, but at least one of us has loved it. Uh, and there have been occasions where, you know, you've been more lukewarm or I've been more lukewarm about a film, but the other one has loved it. And generally, seeing on the big screen, like if there's a film you loved, I would be like, I get it. You know, I got it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Once you see it on once, yeah. it, it changes everything, really. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, and I, I just loved having the cinema. Now it's been online for I guess six months, five months, five months, almost yeah, six months. months. And so I've seen so many of these films either for a second time on the big screen, occasionally ones that you've programmed for the first time, and man, there's there's nothing like it. I think at home, it, the more we all get on our digital devices and the more distractions we have, it's impossible to really watch movies like the kind of movies we're showing at home, particularly something like the titles in this Modern Masters series. Yeah. Um, you really need need the, the, the big screen and the, the darkness and the, the collective experience to make you fully get into it and not, not feel like, oh, I've got to run up and check my phone or... Yeah. Sure, sure, and I think that like a lot of times, you know, we do get in the, we do tend to think of fel- certain kinds of films sometimes as oh that's that's a wait for Netflix or something, where you could wait for Netflix on a film like particularly like a documentary if you see it as mm-hmm. being um, you see it as being an issue doc. It's like oh yeah no I can wait and watch that at home. It might not be so cinematic, but um, so when we choose an, when I choose an issue doc like let's say the Workers Cup, you might see it as a, an issue doc about workers and it takes place during the World Cup. But it's so incredibly cinematic. It's about um, the Workers' Cup is uh, the World Cup. The Soccer World Cup is coming to Qatar in a few years. And they're building up the city and the facilities and the highways and the parking decks and all of that for the World Cup. And the workers that they bring in, because there certainly aren't enough workers in Qatar, are coming from West Africa. They're coming from West India. They're coming from Nepal. They're coming from all over the world, and they're being promised high wages, great living conditions, a chance to improve their lot. Um, And in fact, what people are finding, what the workers are finding when they get there is that they're crammed into overcrowded dormitories. 
they're working many hours a day. They're not really improving their lot or really giving themselves a better chance at life. Uh, and they're disappointed. So you have this, you have literally millions of construction workers there who've gotten a raw deal. Uh, and the, the um, which is interesting enough in itself, but here's where it becomes more interesting. There's a soccer tournament among the different construction companies with the construction workers who are there as the players. And you want to see uh, excitement. You want to see buy-in. Look at these soccer tournaments and these guys who feel like this is their way out is to play in these soccer tournaments. So we see um, soccer team, uh, in, in the middle of one company, a soccer team being created, a soccer team growing in proficiency, the leader of that team becoming more of like the the born leader of men that he is, and then we see the company beginning to freak out a little <laughs> bit that, hey, wait a minute, this guy's creating a team, bringing people together. It sure looks a lot like a labor union. Uh, and then we watch what happens from there. I won't spoil it. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing to see this uh, leader emerge, to see the men begin to follow him, and then to see the company react. And we see it all before our eyes, beautifully filmed, and it's a gorgeous-looking movie. Uh, and it all happens, and it's high drama. Uh, and then on top of all that, it's an exciting tournament sports movie. So all of these things are all together in that film, and I think that makes it so exciting, and it's so much more than just a safe-for-Netflix kind of film. It's really great and exciting cinema. Cinema experience, and and this is where we find ourselves today with what documentaries are doing. Yeah. There's, there is such experiment experimentation with form, with a aesthetic that may have been not really in the realm of great documentary or even journalism. I think that people who are doing legitimate journalism are finding a new aesthetic. And so that um, makes makes the films that we have selected for Doc Nights just such an, a, a great and diverse set of films. Like there's no, you can't, you know, calling something a documentary anymore is, is you know, there's there, you're not pinning anything down. It's, it's um, we, we love our Doc Nights and these films could not be more different from one another. And I know that two other films um, that you've selected for Doc Nights have that um, that element of doing something very, very different with nonfiction, um, both The Challenge and Machines. Yeah, M Machines takes place in a, in a sweatshop in India, and we see some of the, like this beautiful fabric rolling through these you know completely rusted out machines, and everything's being tended by both by an army of workers who are both children and or broken old men of, you know, 30 years old who, who have just been working these machines since they were children. Uh, it's incredibly dangerous. You know, you look at it, it's a horrifying thing to see, and yet the filmmaker has filmed it in a way to make it look so beautiful. It's one of the most lavish, beautiful-looking films of recent memory, and somebody asked the director, why did, you, why did you make this horrible subject and film it in such a beautiful way? And he said, well, if I hadn't done that, people would just look away. I wanted to make it so that people wouldn't look away, and that's why Machine Switch Screens in December uh, is such a, a beautiful film. And then speaking of beautifully filmed f uh, movies, in November we show a movie called The Challenge, which is about these incredibly wealthy oil billionaires in the Middle East who live a life of unimaginable luxury, uh, who import you know, Lamborghinis by the score, uh, you know, vintage Harley-Davidson motorcycles, and then... Um, Falcons, Falcons whose bloodline goes back 600 years. 
and they have falconry <laughs> tournaments in the middle of the desert when they're not, you know, crashing Lamborghinis into vintage Harleys or whatever, um, or, or racing their cheetahs, you know. So it's, it's a vision of unimaginable boredom, uh, of, you'd have to say, spiritual desolation, uh, mm-hmm. that also, as it's filmed by the, the filmmaker, the, this is an Italian artist filmmaker whose name I can't recall, but you'll see it. Uh, by, by this filmmaker, it's uh, unimaginably beautiful. That's so exciting. We also have a tribute to one of our old, old, oldies but goodies, um, Les Blank, yeah. who um, whose son is going to be coming in with some of um, 16 millimeter prints of, of Les's work. And we are showing a collection of the food films and the music films. And it's perfect to do this during the holidays because Les Blank was the ethnographer of Celebration. And a lot of the films he made in Louisiana were just about people partying and the ways in which they party and the way that parties tell us things about culture we could never know otherwise and his films are just life-affirming and this will be a really fun weekend and i'm so looking forward to hearing some of the stories oh yeah i've seen these movies a bunch maybe some other people have heard these hearing this have seen these movies a bunch if you haven't you gotta 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 be there but I'm looking forward to hearing a lot of the stories and the backstories about this, about Les Blank and about all his contemporaries. It's pretty exciting. So we're winding up a few series, uh, including our Catherine Deneuve series, which has been a total blast. Yeah. Um, but we've got a, a print uh, coming in from the Institut Francaise in Paris of Andre Teschenet's film from the 90s called My Favorite Season. And this is really your only opportunity to see that film. He Teschenet is a filmmaker, a French filmmaker that's post-New Wave that people don't know as much much, but his work is really fascinating. It's all about these adrift characters who are complex and interesting and have these these various reasons that they can't connect with each other. And this is one of his more kind of high-minded melodramas, but he has also made really interesting genre work. But um, Catherine Donov is perfect in this movie, and I'm excited that we're showing something that most people haven't had a chance to see. And then A Christmas Tale, which is my favorite holiday movie. It's Arnaud de Plachin's uh, distilling of the many Hollywood comedies he had seen over the years and turning it into something as wild as all of his films that takes so many narrative chances narratively and works with actors um, in, in, the, in a very daring way. The movies, the movies always are just on the edge. And in this, um, Catherine Deneuve is this matriarch who has a really ruptured relationships with all of her kids, played by people like Matthew Almerich. Um, and her actual uh, daughter is in the film too, <laughs> Chiara Mastriani. So it's a it's a great one and not to miss. Uh, and speaking of Christmas films, we're doing a whole bunch of Christmas films over the period of the holidays. So not everybody goes out of town for the holidays. And when you're here, um, you might find yourself wanting to uh, uh, catch up on some Christmas movies, some some really. Um, uh, curated Christmas movies, let's say. And I think in this case, we've got the, the most AFS range of Christmas movies you can imagine. <laughs> Not only uh, A Christmas Tale, which we play in November, but later on during this uh, series, we're playing Christmas in Connecticut with Barbara Stanwyck, The Thin Man, which is the drinkingest uh, 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 Dashiell Hammett-written um, Christmas movie with Nick and Nora Charles playing husband-wife detective, White Christmas with Rosie Clooney and Bing Crosby, and 
uh, Bob Fosse ghost choreographing, <laughs> uh, and then the the, um, the always reexaminable It's a Wonderful Life, where I have um, I'm going to contribute some some introductions to those screenings that I think put it in, in a context that maybe not everybody's aware of about that. So that's those are our Christmas movies that we're doing. We hope people will join us over the Christmas season you, if they're in town. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, even if you love old Hollywood movies, sometimes with the Christmas movies, people mm-hmm. feel like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. I don't need to. I don't need to go there, but. Honestly, each of these movies is is essential. If you've if you've somehow missed these in your life, this will be a really fun way to experience them. A lot a lot are on um, new DCPs, which is fun. And then, man, we've got a thirty five millimeter print. Yep. Um, and then also during December, uh, Patricia Highsmith, who's born in Fort Worth, amazingly born in Fort Worth, doesn't seem seems like the least Texan person I can think of. Uh, <laughs> but she she was a great writer. She wrote suspense, and she wrote um, she wrote. Uh, uh, hor- uh, horrific and uh, mystery uh, and psychological suspense novels that are of, of rare depth um, and stories and she uh, her work is really ideal for the cinema uh, and some of the greatest auteurs of the cinema realize that so uh, in this series which runs through December we're showing Alfred Hitchcock Strangers on a Train adapted from her story we're showing The American Friend adapted from one of her novels uh, by Ben Venders. We're showing Purple Noon, uh, adapted from another novel by Rene Clement, starring Alain Delon. Uh, and then we're also showing uh, Carol, adapted from a posthumously published mem- novel-slash-memoir of hers that was autobiographical about her about a love affair she had with a woman over Christmas season, and that appropriately is happening uh, during the Christmas season. And uh, Pur- Purple Noon, the Rene Clement mm-hmm. adaptation, that is uh, in a newly restored print. So that'll be a fun... And it's filmed in the Mediterranean, and it has this beautiful sunlight, and just the, the, the Alain Delon's like, glowing tan and his teeth. It's really something to see. He's so handsome. Too bad he was a mafia creep. Allegedly, or is the jury out on that one still? Allegedly, but no, I think it's probably <laughs> true that he was a mafia creep and may have been, like, may have killed some people, maybe? Oh, if you read up on Alain Delon's, like, weird contacts, it was really something else. I think the mafia dudes just really liked having him around. Well, he's so, it's, it explains why he's always so good playing a criminal. It's yeah. like, he's just, like, the most convincing cinema criminal of all time, in my opinion. It's true. He was modeling on those dudes he was hanging around with, those weird, like... Mediterranean gangsters from Marseille. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're doing all that. We're, we're, we got a lot of other stuff. So like, don't don't just hear this and say, "Well, I got it." Like, like explore our calendar because we got a lot of other stuff coming yeah. up, including I know Rat Film was a thing that like I, I feel like I find myself talking about this movie a lot, and I find myself thinking about it a lot. It's an unusual film. It is a f- film that the I guess the thesis of the film you would say is. Baltimore doesn't have a rat problem, it has a people problem. So it's looking at the history of Baltimore, the bigger choices by city government and planning commissions to be use, bring uh, systematic racism mm-hmm. and uh, just a general disregard to the poor to their policies. But we're seeing that through the proliferation of rats throughout the city of Baltimore and through also this sort of godlike narration that is a computer voice that's speaking about these policies from this omniscient perspective. It is a really wild movie and uh, a movie with great characters 
and incredible research. And I think a, just a really interesting filmmaking voice that's being pretty bold and trying to link all these things together and finding a way to tell a story of Baltimore in a different way. And I think there's there's actually a couple of uh, documentaries in the works about Baltimore and also a lot we've seen Baltimore a lot in movies from TV and The Wire all that. So it's it's good to have these perspectives on this deeply troubled uh, and and amazing city. I think um, this filmmaker Theo uh, What's Theo Anthony is is from there, and I I love I love this regional filmmaking. That's like I know what these external perspectives are, and I'm going to try to create something that's altogether new. And it's perfect. It's perfect that it's nestled in there for avant cinema because yes. it really is just an explorer of different forms. In, in the middle of all this, you've got these like odd little game theory. Um, visualizations, <laughs> right. you've got experiments going on during the film, and then you also do this ride-along with this exterminator from Baltimore who is, uh, he has to be like a thousands-of-year-old, like super-wise reincarnated Buddha <laughs> man because he's the wisest dude I've ever seen. And watching him go around and talk to people about the rat problem is one of the, it's one of the greatest things I've seen in movies this year. Yep. So another series that's ending yep. is Jewels in the Wastelands. Mm-hmm. This is our final our final uh, month because we've gone now through the entire 80s yeah, over maybe many gonna, years. Yeah, we have to start again. <laughs> well, I, I think we should start yeah. again There's with all the films yeah. that you could show in this series. But now we're 87 to 89, and, and you must attend because if we start over again, you know, it, it might be a while. This is this is this year's Jewels in the Wasteland. You've got to come out. It's so much fun. Richard Linklater does the introductions and, you know, post leads post-screening discussions it's a blast if you had to recreate the art of cinema like you could do worse than just listening to all of rick's introductions and the discussions that wind it up it's like it, it may seem like oh these are just films from the 80s but you get an entire uh sort of perspective about films and how films work and how performances work and what directors do and what writers do and what cinematographers do it's it's really just go um, for a screening or two, and you will learn so much more about films that will enrich the way that you look at films just from hearing Rick talk about these movies. Yeah, it's a pretty good film school, as yeah. is, I think, going to all of the movies in this calendar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so enrich yourself, enrich the way that you look at the world, um, and support AFS for everything that AFS is doing in, in terms of artist services, of helping artists, helping our programs. Become a member if you haven't already. Um, you don't have to become a member to enjoy things in the AFS Cinema, but first of all, it's cheaper, and second of all, you'll know you're supporting some pretty good stuff. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you throughout the next couple of months, and we'll do this again soon because we're working on January and February and looking at a lot of really cool films for the next calendar. So we'll see you back here, same place, AFS Viewfinders. And we'll, we'll talk to you at the Cinema, we hope. Yeah, that's See too. you soon.